Greetings, friends, and welcome back to the Encouraging Word 2023 edition. Stephen and I are, are back for uh, yet another season of bringing the Word to you. And by the Word, uh, we mean, of course, the, the Word of God and, and uh, any other topics and, and uh, good wisdom and information we can bring alongside that to uh, help enrich each of our lives and uh, to, to strengthen the bonds of community uh, that we would grow together in our faith over the course of the coming year. So uh, thanks for sticking with us and checking back in uh, on another uh, calendar year of the Encouraging Word. We started in 2020. It's hard to believe that we're, we're uh, offering our first episode here of 2023, but here we go. So uh, it's been a fun and uh, in some ways relaxing, other ways hectic uh, holiday break for, for Stephen and I and our families. But uh, we wanted to start uh, a new series with you. Uh, today and over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be diving into one of the minor prophets, minor prophets, and uh, we've been wanting for some time to to commit to a few weeks, a, a series to just breaking down one of these minor prophets to get a better feel, uh, partly because Steve and I wanted to en enrich our, ourselves, have that experience for ourselves, but uh, share with you the purpose of the minor prophets and, and give you an experience of really digging deep into one of them. The one we've chosen is uh, Habakkuk. And uh, I'll just say over the course of my life, I think I've heard that name pronounced in about seven different ways. <laughs> so even Stephen and I might come at it differently. Uh, by the time we're done, we might just be calling him H or Hab or <laughs> Hab, something yeah. like that. But uh, we're, we're going to be digging into Habakkuk. Um, after spending the majority of today talking about just minor prophets in general. So uh, we hope that uh, you're, you're excited to uh, go down that path. And then over the course of the year, we have some other series planned for you that will take us uh, into the Word, but also into some other topics and perhaps have some guests along the way that can come and, and share their insights. Uh, so exciting year mapped out for us. Um, but uh, today it's all about minor prophets and, and H. <laughs> and <laughs> Uh, but we, we want to start with our um, with our fit segment. I was trying to think of the letters. Uh, things that are funny, interesting, or thought-provoking in, in Stephen and I and our family's lives. And uh, so I'll invite Stephen. He's got a lot of material, I think, to draw from over uh, Christmas and New Year's and, and everything you guys were about. So I'm, I'm sure this one will be riveting. What do you got for us, Stephen? Yeah. <coughs> so um, happy to be um, back and welcome everyone back from the holiday. <clears throat> so my, uh, I was part of the whole Southwest finasco about canceled flights and um, the whole messed up of their system, the um, couldn't find their crew, and so we were flying from we we're going to go from Cleveland to Kansas City, and of course there's no <laughs> direct flights to Kansas City. It's too small, unfortunately. So we uh, were flying out of Cleveland, which that flight was delayed, and uh, it was probably nearly canceled too, but we were able to get out of Cleveland. Um, and we ended up in Chicago, and then from Chicago, we never got to Kansas City. Um, I remember getting into the airport. We were close to the takeoff, because um, our flight in Cleveland kept getting delayed. So by the time we got to Chicago, we were like racing through the airport. They get there, and then we got there, and uh, never took off. So, which was weird. One thing that was weird is that the pilots were there, <coughs> but the um, attendants, flight crew, wasn't there. Um, 
so we were actually I think we might have been just missing one or two um, so it's just like it and I just recently kind of listened to a podcast about the whole thing and what Southwest is a little unique in how they run their operations and that in and that the sense that they don't have a central hub per se like other airports do um, so for the pilots and the flight crew and everyone they have their whole check-in system and how they um, connect with flights and everything is a little different than the other airlines around them so the system their system failed where other airlines succeeded um, because they have systems that don't are affected by um, kind of the weaknesses or, or, or the effects of the storm that happened to Southwest so um, I guess it's kind of good in a sense for Southwest because they figure out <laughs> their weaknesses that they can fix hmm. <coughs> but it was not good for us um, weren't able to get to Kansas City. <coughs> Unfortunately, we had to get a hotel and um, stayed there for two nights, and then we were able to get a flight back to Cleveland on United because um, the um, Southwest was still canceling all the flights, and uh, that was quite a journey, too, to figure out because our flight um, was actually canceled twice because we got on a new flight from Southwest in the morning, and that was canceled, so we had two Kansas City flights canceled. So we, then we flew out with United. Flew out with United. Um, so, yeah, it was just kind of sad to, to tell the girls that they weren't going to be able to see Grandma and Grandpa. And we haven't been there in five years. We haven't, I haven't been back to Kansas City. So looking forward to that trip again. And hopefully we get reimbursed for all our flights, and which I think we will. But, yeah, that's kind of what happened over Christmas break. Goodness. So when you schedule the next trip, are you going to fly with Southwest again? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. I that's a, I, I don't know. I, I Maybe, because it's almost kind of like, in a sense, they can make it better. I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. We'll, we'll see. Kind of a, a, a trust thing that right. uh, you don't want to punish them for, you know, a, a, right. a short, rough stretch even though it's right. pretty traumatic for you and family. they give us like free flights and yeah but um, <laughs> <laughs> if i had the choice between like, united all show those, me the money right yeah, yeah. <laughs> which i feel like i'm i flew a lot during college to flying back to kansas city and i don't i always flew like united i i think this might have been my first time flying southwest so it wasn't a great experience so. yeah not a great first impression <laughs> right yeah. Well, we're glad you got home safely, but uh, it is sad on a number of levels that you missed out on visiting with with family, uh, with with your parents, and and uh, you know it kind of wreaks havoc on your Christmas break in a lot of ways. In a couple of days, that one day you'll be able to look back on with uh, yeah. with maybe some humor and and right. uh, an intrigue. But uh, yeah, right now it's just a. Seems like a complete waste of, of a few precious days in the midst of that break. Yeah. So, well, um, <clears throat> as uh, Stephen and his family are authoring the, the next uh, segment of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, <laughs> was that a movie yeah. from the 80s <laughs> that I haven't seen, so I can't print that, and I really know what it's about, but I think it's something like what you guys experienced. Yeah. Uh, my, my fit segment is not quite so personal or probably interesting, but... Um, I, I started thinking through all of the things that I did over Christmas and uh, gifts that were exchanged and stuff. And, and um, I'm sure there are other things that I should be sharing. But the one thing that came to mind because I was just recently flipping through it yesterday was this book uh, that I received 
that was I think it's literally called Useless Knowledge, the book of useless knowledge. And there's just some really cool facts in there. And so uh, it might be my thing this year is when I can't think of anything more interesting, I'll just pull out a little factoid from that book to share with you. But um, uh, two two little facts about um, presidents of the United States of America that come up early in the book that I thought might be interesting. One is about George Washington. And so many people don't know that George Washington had a uh, an extreme fear of being buried alive. That was one of his grave fears. And so... And uh, who doesn't? You know, is that, <laughs> well, is that, is that a well, shocker? Yeah, I, <laughs> I guess it's a valid question. Uh, I guess I you can count me on that list if you want. <laughs> I know, I was going to say, me too. I yep. would, that would uh, be a big fear of mine. <laughs> but I think maybe his was a fear and a preoccupation, maybe. It was something <laughs> he dwelled on uh, quite a bit. Uh, because... What he did was he he ordered those who were caring for him at the end of his life to lay out his body for three days after he died because he wanted to make absolutely sure <laughs> that he was dead before <laughs> they put him under the ground. So uh, <clears throat> just one of those unique things you may not have known about our first president. And the second thing I'll share is uh, William Henry Harrison. Many people don't. Uh, maybe know the name but know much about his presidency and that's because it was it was extremely short uh so he holds um one record uh when it comes to presidential accomplishments and that is that he uh, gave the longest inaugural address in all of uh, history he gave uh, about an hour and 50 minute speech when he was inaugurated as president and it was outside in the midst of this uh, this crazy snowstorm. And he just stood there and he kept talking and talking. Um, and it was a wonderful speech, but uh, apparently it was ill-timed because he died a month later of pneumonia. And uh, <laughs> so he's only spent an, a month in office. Um, so, you know, for those who are long-winded, a reminder to either be long-winded indoors, you know, or wear a coat. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you don't want to, to suffer the fate of William Henry Harrison. So uh, those are just, yeah, two little factoids. And, and you know, perhaps I'll come up with something interesting in my own life, although that's doubtful uh, in the future. But if not, I'll have these to fall back on. So um, minor profits, minor profits. Here we go. <clears throat> I think uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and set up a, a few um, a few things to get us uh, or minds wrapped around what's going on here, and, and Stephen will jump in with some concepts too. But a uh, little bit about minor profits. Um, these are probably most likely, if you're not familiar, uh, the books that are in the latter part of the Old Testament in your Bible that you have a hard time pronouncing the names of, and uh, those books that you hear the name and you you kind of second guess whether that's actually a book of the Bible or not, <laughs> or or people are throwing other names in and you think, oh, yeah, it's in the Bible, right? Oh, it must be a minor prophet. And then you find out it's not because these are really obscure names. Uh, some of them are very short, which is why they are called uh, minor prophets. And the research I did is that uh, that word minor pertains to the length of the text and not to the significance of the text. So we'll go into that uh, and, and, and emphasize that a bit more as we go. But it, it's not about these prophets being less important or their, their message being less significant than the other prophets. Uh, they just happen to be shorter in length. And there are 12 of them. There are 12 minor prophets. Uh, 
at the end of the Old Testament. And uh, they appear more or less in chronological order. So you can read them from 1 through 12 and uh, know that you're essentially following the, the history of Israel. And uh, one of the most valuable things about them is that they do give you an overview from a unique angle of the history of Israel, as well as some insight on the, the spiritual state of the nation and, and the Israelite people throughout that history. So by reading the Minor Prophets, uh, you're able to accomplish that. Um, these 12 prophets were, just like all the other prophets, called by God to represent him, to speak on his behalf to the people, and uh, to challenge the status quo of, of the era, the time that they lived in. And uh, they each did so in, in unique ways. So in doing some research online about minor prophets, one of the things I encountered was... Uh, this encouragement uh, through this article to approach the minor prophets in, in six steps. And each of these is more or less a, a context um, that the, the prophet and the text are, are placed in that we should be examining as we read that book. So uh, I'm going to offer up a few of them, and Stephen will wrap up the, the last couple. Um, but these are essentially things to be thinking about or looking for when you are studying the Minor Prophets. The first uh, is, is called personal context, and uh, this may not be relevant to everyone, but at least to some of us who have had some experience with these texts or encountered them in any way, shape, or form, the question uh, that we're encouraged to ask first when we approach one of them is, what do you already know about the prophet and their text? Sometimes we know more than we realize that we know. We just don't know how it fits within the larger context of the book or the Old Testament as a whole. Uh, for example, there are uh, references even in, in the Christmas season. We just went through Advent. There are references to some of the minor prophets when we're looking at um, prophecies that were made about the Messiah, about Jesus' coming. And uh, a lot of times we reference back to the minor prophets to connect uh, the origin of some of those predictions, some of those prophecies. So first thing is ask yourself, what do I already know? Uh, where have I heard this name before? What, if anything, do I know about uh, this person and the text that they wrote? How is it connected to uh, the New Testament? Where have, I, where have I encountered it? Number two is the literary context. Uh, so this, I thought, was interesting. The Hebrew text uh, treats these 12 books, the Minor Prophets, not as separate uh, texts, but as one larger text. And they call it the Book of the Twelve. And we have to resist the urge to, to see these prophets, once again, as less significant as the major prophets. And, and the Hebrew text helps us with this uh, by putting them all together and so making it one extended uh, book. And uh, the message of these books, once again, no less significant. Reading them as a unit, we are able to see that message come through loud and clear because you start to see some common themes. It's not just, oh, I'm, I'm going to read, you know, Zephaniah today and Habakkuk tomorrow and Amos the next day. And, and they're each separate and unique. It's, it's seeing that there are some common themes that run throughout. And this overall message that's demonstrated in different ways through the different minor prophets is much more clear and, and much more abundantly uh, professed. So the message really that runs through all of these is, is of Israel's unfaithfulness and God's impending punishment. You, you're going to hear a lot about that in the Minor Prophets, a lot of heavy stuff, 
um, and a lot of doom and gloom because it's, it's really about how Israel has uh, fallen short of living into uh, their part of their promise to follow God dating back to Moses and, and uh, the covenant that was established. We'll go into that more in a few minutes. But um, that's what the 12 books, the, the overriding message is really about the, the unfaithfulness of the Israelite people. But it, they also point to a, a future period of hope and restoration. So there is hope. There's always a, a, a hint of hope in each of these books and uh, uh, pointing to the future of how God is going to restore his people. And irregardless of uh, their ability to be faithful or to turn back to him, he has plans to restore them. Uh, this is a, a quote that <clears throat> I found from uh, the Zondervan uh, publishing website. And I thought it was interesting talking about how these books uh, should be seen as, as one larger text. Uh, it says, taken together, the sound these books produce is not that of a single instrument playing a solemn tune in a minor key. Instead, there are 12-piece symphony boldly striking major key melodies of God's justice and God's mercy. So bring them together. They form something of a symphony with each one kind of playing an, a, a unique instrument and professing that message uniquely, but together they, they have a resounding impact. Uh, in the last context that I'll mention through which we should read the Minor Prophets is the Messianic context. Um, this is one of the messages of hope that we hear uh, come through in the Minor Prophets is that uh, there is a coming Messiah that is going to uh, bring God's hope and, and plan for his people into fruition and we can look all the way back to Genesis 3, where you see the, the fall of humanity, but then the promise that God is, is going to uh, send somebody who would crush the head of the serpent, right? And so, you know, looking for the Messiah begins really all the way back in Genesis 3. And the minor prophets do quite a bit to uh, continue that process of pointing towards the Messiah and granting the people hope in the midst of difficult times. Uh, so those are three of, uh, I believe, what Stephen and I both have is six steps to studying the Minor Prophets. And I'll let him jump in and uh, share the other three, whatever other insights you want to offer us. Yeah. <coughs> so a um, couple of things I want to point out <coughs> before I get to um, the final three uh, con contextual points to look at in the Minor Prophets, um, I guess... One thing I want to mention is that the minor prophets are clustered around um, three major events. Um, so you have the first major event is leading up to and surrounding Israel's exile. So you have some of the prophets are um, a part of the, so in the kingdom of David or kingdom of uh, Solomon, actually. Um, after Solomon died, the kingdom was split into northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, or Israel and Judah. Um so when the kingdom split, you have prophets for each one of the kingdoms. So um, the first major event that you'll find some of the minor prophets are talking about is the leading up to or surrounding Israel's exile. And then you have prophets that deal with the time leading up to Judah's exile. And then you also have some of the prophets um, speak about Judah's restoration or um, prophets that are around after the exile of Judah who um, speak about the restoration of Judah. So all these prophets are in different time periods. So that's really important to remember. Also, um, in prophetic books in general, 
there's more than just prophecy in these prophetic books so you're going to find narrative you'll find wisdom literature you'll find poetry you'll find songs even sermons um, apocalyptic literature so these books aren't just dealing with only prophecy um, they have a lot to say about um, or they're written in some different ways or different literary styles as well um, and another thing to point out too when it comes to um, the prophets whether minor prophets or major prophets which as Paul mentioned before the the reason they're another reason too why they're called minor and major is that when the when the prophets were written in scrolls um, the major prophets it took like basically a whole scroll to write that prophetic book where the minor prophets are as Paul has said the book of 12 so you could have many multiple minor prophets on one scroll um, and not have to break it down um, where like Isaiah or Jeremiah that's those are I think Isaiah actually might be broken into two scrolls it's so big so that's why they're called the the major prophets but it doesn't mean like their message um, was any less important um, than the other prophets um, yeah but when it comes to prophecies whether minor <coughs> prophets or major major prophets they're not always dealing about the future um, so we need to remember that the prophecies also were meant um, not just about they're meant for the future or these the people then so many of the prophecies that um, they did talk about happened within their time period so um, I looked at one statistic and it said less than 2% of Old Testament prophecies have to do with Jesus less than 5% deal with the New Covenant age which is mentioned in the New Testament and less than 1% concerns events yet to come so when they're prophetic um, speaking about the future, many of these are events that happened during um, that time period. And also it's important to talk about, too, is that um, prophets, just, they didn't just um, speak about the future. So they weren't always um, foretellers. They're actually doing forthtelling. There's a lot of things of what they did. So forthtelling is a little different. It's, it's making public... Um, what Israel was meant really enforcing the God's covenant um, or speaking of God's covenant to the people of Israel and trying to remind them of the covenant that they made with God that's a, that's what a lot of the prophet um, a lot of what the books of the prophets talk about is um, reinforcing the covenant to the people um, bringing the covenant before them again and trying to remind the people what they um, the commitment they made to God um, going all the way back to Moses and, and what happened at Mount Sinai and, and, and the Ten Commandments and all the other laws that God had given them they're trying to read their prophets are trying to call the people back to God and back to that um, commitment so that leads me to three contextual things that are important to understanding the prophets one is the historical context um, we have to remember that these minor prophets they're not they're not all sitting in one room and writing at the same time um, they're writing over different uh, over I don't know a couple hundred years over Israel's history so it's really important to know the historical context in which these prophets are writing because they're speaking to um, some are speaking to the kingdom of Israel some are speaking to Judah um, and then they're speaking in a different time periods um, of these different time periods of Israel's history um, sometimes you can even find the prophets' names in other books. So like First and Second Kings or First and Second Chronicles, sometimes you can find the names of these prophets as they're 
um, which places them in their historical context when they were prophesying. When they were prophesying. So um, I think it's always kind of cool to see the names of the prophets in other books because then it helps me connect what those books, helps me connect those books to the larger uh, biblical story. Um, also, what's important is the covenantal context. So the Old Testament has covenants in general, and, and there's a Mosaic covenant specifically. So um, the prophets speak to the different covenants that the people made um, to God. And if you really want to learn about these covenants, you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 27 through 30. It um, gives a really good understanding of, of what the prophets are trying to um, call back. They're trying to, they're looking back to um, Deuteronomy 27 and 30 and some of the commitments that the people made there. Um, so that's important, an important passage to read to help understand the prophets. And then finally, understanding the kingdom context. So which kind of connects with the historical context as well. But these prophets are, a lot of what the prophets did was that they spoke directly to, especially to leadership, um, the kings and, and the leaders of the tribes, like, because the leaders, <laughs> as true as it is, the leaders set the tone. You know, if, if the leader is following the Lord, the people are going to more or less follow, fall into it because the leaders can, can set the tone and set the culture um, of, of the kingdom so what's important here is like looking at and this has also helped me because understanding the minor prophets took a long time for me and understanding like their role within scripture but when i understood their kingdom context um so what king so there's many different when israel splits into two kingdoms there's many kings good kings and bad kings um that would come and arise uh, within judah and israel and you find these prophets within certain um, reigns of certain kings so um, it's really important because certain kings are dealing with certain issues that other kings aren't so it understands why would the prophets say this or why would they say that because oh they're in this kingdom's reign or this king's reign and this part of israel or this part of judah so really understanding context with the prophets any prophets but especially the minor prophets because there's so many of them so they're and they're they're writing over a long period of time. They're not all writing at the exact same time. Some are writing um, before the exile. Some are writing after exile. Some are writing during it or right up to the exile. So understanding where they fall within the historical context, within the kingdom context, really helps bring light to the text because um, it can be very daunting and very hard to understand. But when you look at it contextually put it in its proper place within the biblical story it can help a little bit with trying to break it down so uh, that's what i'm looking forward to when it comes to the, as we study the book of habakkuk um, it should be really really good and uh, a test case to how we can we understand the minor prophets um, a test case for how can we understand the, the context um, that the book was written in um, so i'm really excited about um, what we have to say about in the future you were helping me connect a few dots uh, while you were talking there. So if this is at all helpful, <clears throat> when Stephen was talking about the kingdom context, a lot of what the minor prophets talk about um, looks back to the Davidic uh, reign, to the time of King David uh, as the second king of Israel. And, and for most uh, Israelites, especially 
living in biblical times, the glory years truly of Israel through the reign of David. Uh, it was like the high point <laughs> where the, the nation had uh, its its accolades and, and glory, but uh, they were also still right with God in, in most respects uh, because of David's character. Um, so you have David's reign that's recorded um, in First and Second Samuel. That's the story of David and, and some of Solomon, his son, in First and Second Samuel. And then the minor prophets, when Stephen was talking about the historical context and how you can match up what you read in, in each of the minor prophets with the historical books of Scripture, Right after First and Second Samuel come First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. So those four books, Kings and Chronicles, uh, are the four books that you're going to look to for historical context on each of these minor prophets. So somewhere over the course of that period of history, after David's reign, that's recorded in Kings and Chronicles, you'll find the stories of uh, many of these minor prophets, or at least be able to see where their message is, is fitting into the historical account of the nation of Israel. So uh, first and second Samuel is, is David's reign. Kings and Chronicles, the minor prophets come along and they start saying, well, David is, is gone. That time is behind us. But one of the messages of hope in the minor prophets is God saying that he's going to bring uh, somebody back to take the throne of David and, and reunite the glory of his people again. And of course, he's pointing to not a king uh, in a human sense, but uh, a Messiah. And Christ is going to play that role of of taking the Davidic throne and becoming king, uh, not just of Israel, but of, of all of humanity uh, while playing the role of Messiah and such. So <clears throat> if that helps to place some of these in their proper context, uh, there you go. And then, yeah, uh, Deuteronomy 27 to 30, uh, Stephen pointed out, is where the Mosaic Covenant was established. So uh, I, I love um, how much you said about, you know, the the prophets, and not just the minor prophets, but all the prophets, they aren't just people who sit around and predict the future. These aren't fortune tellers. <laughs> and um, it, in particular, with these minor prophets, pointing back to Deuteronomy 27 and 30, when Moses uh, gave the law to the people uh, from God, he told them from God what was going to happen. If they were faithful, then all of these blessings were going to be due to them. If they were not faithful, God would, and they actually use the word curse, they would be cursed in all these different ways. So it's already been laid out at the end of the book of Deuteronomy exactly what the people could expect to happen depending on their relationship with God, their faithfulness to God throughout history. So what we see in the Minor Prophets is just really these prophets later on pointing back to the Mosaic uh, Covenant, the Mosaic Law, and saying, okay, you know, Moses told you through God, or God told you through Moses, Back at the end of Deuteronomy, what to expect if you drop the ball in these areas. Guess what? You're dropping the ball in these areas. This is what's happening. And they also point to the future and say, if you continue to, it's going to continue to happen. Uh, but as we've said, there's also messages of hope within as well, uh, that God does not cease to love his people or care for his people. Uh, but yeah, the, the loudest message is one of, pointing back to the end of Deuteronomy, the Mosaic Covenant, and saying, you guys are not living up to your end of the deal. And so don't be surprised when things happen, like you get exiled or, you know, the city of Jerusalem is uh, taken over or burned down or, 
you know, so this is they're, they're not sitting around predicting the future, even though that's an element to what they do. Uh, but they are pointing people back to the promises that God made about what was what they could expect to happen, depending on uh, how they function in their relationship with him. <clears throat> so minor prophets as a whole, hopefully you have a, a better grasp on what they're all about. Uh, a few things on Habakkuk, just to kind of whet your appetite, and then we'll dig into the meat of Habakkuk uh, next time we are together. Habakkuk uh, served as a prophet to Judah. Judah was the southern kingdom. Uh, Israel, we often heard to here referred to as the, the northern kingdom um, after it divided into those two kingdoms. And so Judah... Um, was where Habakkuk served, and he did so from the years approximately 612 to 588 BCE. And we can come up with those dates uh, using Habakkuk's uh, references to the Babylonian invasion that occurs, and he does so in the first three chapters of his uh, book. We, we hear him talking about this Babylonian invasion, so we kind of know what years he served. And this time period that Habakkuk was serving was uh, one in which, you know, the, the nation of, of Israel or the, the nation of Judah that remained felt like their world was coming to an end uh, because they had just seen the northern kingdom fall in uh, 722 BCE. So this is about 100 years before that. And um, they were already maybe starting to question, you know, God's plan for everything. And then the southern kingdom, though, was, was still uh, functioning. It was still, in many ways, thriving, um, and they, you know, they were still leaning on God's promise that they uh, were still in place. They were in the promised land. They were still God's people, even though they were not faithful uh, to His call. At least the things that God had promised, to some extent, were still reality. But if this southern kingdom of Judah were wiped out, what would this say about the God who they worshipped? The God who had promised this land to his people if the, the people were obliterated or forcibly removed from that land. And so Habakkuk is, is prophesying in this time period when there's this impending uh, invasion from the Babylonians and the northern kingdom is already gone. So people are on, on, on edge. They're freaking out because they think that not only are, are their lives and the, the life of their nation in danger, but the God who they worship is not uh, coming through on his end, and his promises don't mean anything. So this is the context that uh, Habakkuk is, is speaking to. He was a contemporary, if it helps to know, of the prophet Jeremiah, also of Daniel, and uh, has a little bit of overlap with Ezekiel. Uh, a couple other names to, to toss out to you as we look at some of the kings. At, at all times in history, uh, the the setup really was that there was a king and there was a prophet. And the prophet's job was to speak to the king and take God's message to the king, usually because the, the kings were wicked, had strayed from God, and God had to try and reach them somehow. And uh, <clears throat> so the last four kings of, of Judah which is the time period we're in towards the end of the, the, uh, the existence of Judah, were wicked men. Uh, Babylon, like we said, was uh, ready to invade, and they finally did so by 586, which is right after Habakkuk's uh, time as a prophet. So it ended up coming to reality that Babylon would come in and, and, and invade. So we already talked about it being a time of fear and oppression, lawlessness, uh, immorality. The people were just in a bad state. Um, but speaking of kings, Josiah, who is a relatively good king, 
uh, reigned at the very beginning of Habakkuk's time as a prophet till 609 BCE. But after him, the kings that uh, Habakkuk were work, was working with were Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. And those three kings that reigned uh, for the rest of Habakkuk's time of prophecy were all <laughs> awful men, awful leaders, led the people away from God. And so it was just a, a complete mess. Uh, Habakkuk was not in a good situation. Um, one of the things that's un unique about Habakkuk is he doesn't address the people of Judah directly. Um, what we'll see as we dig into the text itself is this is a dialogue between the prophet and God. So it's, it's a really unique angle on uh, delivering the prophecy that uh, Habakkuk is called to deliver. It's similar in some ways uh, to Job, if you're familiar with the book of Job, where there's these questions of, of justice uh, coming to the surface. And, and uh, in particular in Habakkuk, God's lack of response to the evil and the horrible things that are going on around him. <clears throat> and it's uh, also similar to Jonah, uh, once again, with this question of justice and this interplay between God and one of his prophets. And what we get because of this unique angle is we get really good insight into God's heart and his mind because he speaks directly to Habakkuk from his heart as to why he is doing what he's doing or not doing what, what he's not doing. So uh, just really good insight in, into God's uh, character and um, his, his desire for his people, why he does what he does, and, and especially why he chooses not to act at times when he doesn't. Um, we also, once again, see how it's similar to, to Jonah. Uh, but unlike Jonah, who <laughs> responds to his frustration with God by running and hiding or rebelling against God or whining and complaining, uh, Habakkuk does so by having a dialogue with God through praying earnestly to him for answers to his, his concerns and eventually by praising God and, and placing his trust in him uh, for the duration. So Habakkuk ends up being a positive example of working through your frustrations uh, in, in these areas through the text. <clears throat> so bottom line, the message of Habakkuk that we're going to dive into uh, next time we're together is a, a picture of this, this, this prideful people who are being humbled and uh, a reminder that the righteous live by faith in God reminds us that uh, at times when God seems to be silent in the face of injustice, that he always has a plan. He's always got something up his sleeve. He always is in complete control. If he's not acting, not responding, it's because it's, it's uh, his plan and, and it's not the right moment to act or respond. But he always has a plan to deal with evil and to work out things in a just way eventually. Um, and it encourages us by seeing this played out through Habakkuk and, and God in their dialogue. It encourages us like Habakkuk to, to wait on the Lord, to trust whatever our circumstances, that he has things under control and that he will work things out for good, no matter how frustrated and impatient we may be. Uh, we just have to trust in him. So uh, perhaps you're in a place in life where you need that, that message right now and uh, the next couple of times when we get together talk through this book will be especially pertinent to you um, but either way we hope you you gain greater knowledge and understanding of this uh, important portion of of god's holy word so you want to uh, send us out Stephen? got any rousing uh final words uh nope i am excited about doing this study though i think it's gonna be i think it's gonna be fun um 
I, I like the idea of looking into the minor prophets and studying a book that haven't really studied in depth before. So <clears throat> I hope it's a benefit to everyone else as it's going to be a benefit to me. So, um, yeah, so next couple of weeks we're going to be going over the book of Habakkuk. And thank you all for listening. And we can't wait to speak to you again.